Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. We're back with another episode of Productivity Insights. And again, as ever, joined by Sue. Hi, Sue. How are you doing? Good, thank you. So before we kick off today in terms of activity study, which is something we're going to talk about following on from the other bits we've been talking about in terms of efficiency study and... um, Role study. Role study. I want to touch on just some bits that have been happening in retail since we last spoke. So quite a bit's been going on. There's quite a few bits that revolve around the supermarket. So Sainsbury's doing a couple of bits. So they're rolling out £2 fruit and veg, veg boxes to allow customers to buy surplus products at reduced price, which is great. They are also starting to vacuum pack mints, which is going to save 450 tons of plastic each year that's good but i think the big news is they have announced that they're going to go to more flexible working for people so store managers those in head office those working in the warehouses can work there 37 and a half hours over seven days if they want to including saturdays if you were kind of monday to friday based can't have consecutive Fridays off to stop people, I assume, having lots of long weekends. Co-op joins other supermarkets in ditching best before labels. Home Depot in America says it will spend $1 billion to give hourly workers a raise. Hermes set to offer 19,700 employees a £3,500 bonus. Dreams partners with Shelter to help pay and fund support for those facing homeless, which is great. M&S have teamed up with Breast Cancer now to raise awareness of signs and symptoms of breast cancer in fitting rooms. Again, really good cause. And then a couple of other bits to finish on. Tesco's hands their staff 7% pay increase. Asda, I think, have done the same. So there's lots of kind of the supermarkets, the big four really kind of trying to gazump each other in terms of paying people more to retain and attract the best talent. And then I'll finish on a sombre note. Um, So 15,000 retail jobs have been lost in 2023 already, and we're not even in March. Primarily Wilco's, Paper Chase, M&Co, Tesco's in closing their counters, New Look night workers in Warehouse and Asda because they are moving their store night shift operation into days. So although there's lots of positive signals in terms of how retailers are performing based on the the doom and gloom that we were expecting last year. Clearly, there are lots of people as well, unfortunately, that have been made redundant. But as I'm sure for all those retailers listening, you're all struggling to recruit as well. So on the flip side, there should be some really good people that are available to come and work for you if you can find them. So lots happening in the retail world. As ever. As ever, yeah. Yeah, always always changing, always evolving. That's kind of some of the frustration, some of the bit why we all love it as in other sectors. So let's get on to the, the main subject, activity study. So as ever, Sue, do you want to give us a quick summary of what an activity study is, what the outputs look like? Yep. So time study is probably the bit that people would think of as proper time and motion study. So historically, it was somebody standing there with a, a stopwatch and a clipboard, and it is watching a process or an operation being done multiple times to create a robust average of it. So we say it's the, it's the classic time and motion study piece, really. Um, what the results do is they'll give you the overall average time for a process. 
which can be useful when you're planning workload, because if you want to know how long to plan in, how many hours you need to plan to put a delivery away, if you know how many cases are in the delivery and you know the time for a case, then obviously you can work out your, your hours that you need to do. So really useful for that. The other way you can use it is to really break it down. So when we're capturing that sort of data, we don't just capture it as one big lump. It's captured as the process steps that happen. So in terms of um, receiving a delivery, it would be, you know, down to opening the door to receive it, any temperature checking that gets done, any paperwork that's signed off, checking seals for the driver, as well as wheeling stuff in and then any sortation, as well as what the onward piece is. So the different processes are broken down into the into the different elements. And what that allows you to do is understand that actually if the overall process takes five minutes, how much of it is dead time, how much of it is walking time, how much of it is things that kind of essential and have to get done. So that's really useful to change your processes, streamline them. It tells you, well, if I put in some automation, what would it do? If I trial some new kit that meant we had to walk less far, what's the impact? So it really gives you some detailed information to be able to make informed decisions about where there's opportunities to amend your processes. Good. Okay. So we understand what it is. What does it cover? Are there there things that it's great for? Are there things that it's not so great to use that methodology for? Some things that maybe you'd use that in conjunction with the efficiency study we talked about before, the role study? Yeah, generally, I always like to have a mix of studies because it gives you a rounded view of things. But say activity study is really good for just measuring a process. If something is super quick, so if you're wanting to measure process steps that are super quick, it's kind of something less than three seconds, say, you're probably better using a methodology that looks, videos it and slows movements down. Something that's less than three seconds is quite difficult for a human to capture accurately because you've got to press buttons, you've got to be looking at what's happening. So if something is less than three seconds, then you're better using a a video study for it. And then if there's something that involves a machine, so it's, it's not um, if you, it's not good to just stand and time a machine. So for example, when we're looking at um, food production, we don't time how long something's in the oven. We're always timing the human part of that. So what's the prep time, the time to put it in the oven and the time to take it out of the oven and then whatever happens afterwards. So we'd exclude like the cook time. You'd exclude sort of things that machines do. We time the human and not the machine usually. Brilliant. Okay. And good for processes that have customer involvement in or not so good? Yes. Where there's a customer involved you will inherently have more variability because customers are very variable how much they want to chat. If it involves getting, you know, finding the purse or the card or all that sort of stuff, that can be very variable. And obviously it depends on the sort of business it is. If it's just somebody handing over a basket and paying for it, there's probably less variability than if it's a sales conversation you buy in a kitchen, say, where somebody might want a big chat, somebody else coming all prepared, know what they want because they've looked on the website. So you get a lot of variability. However, the methods are still useful because you can still get a good average that helps you plan your workload. But actually, it really helps you understand how long during that customer interaction, the customer's sitting there and it's not adding value for them. So how long is the process time that the human has to do? So it can be interesting when at things like picking up a click and collect parcel. So for the human, how long is it from start to finish? 
well, actually, the customer can be standing there and the while the colleague runs to the whole length of the shop, out the back, up some stairs, rummages through a display storage area and back. And we've timed loads of um, parcel pickups where actually it would be faster for the customer just come in and buy it themselves, you know, select it off the shelves and pay for it. So it helps you understand that that downtime for customers because you can see when your team are busy doing something and the customer is, is just waiting. So it allows you to make some choices about how you do things differently and what the, what the impact would be. I think there's some other interesting applications. So where we've looked at things like self-checkout, so not the customer part, yeah. but what's the average interaction from a colleague? So when the red light comes on and it goes wrong, how long is it yeah. going to get there? But also when we're making those observations, recording the why. Yeah. So why did they have to go, well, barcode didn't scan? Well, what was the product? Is it a specific manufacturer that their barcodes aren't great? Was it uh, poor information displayed on the screen? Was it customer education? So you can really start to understand over time how self-service self-service is or actually how non-self-service yeah. self-service is. So I think there's, there's lots of interesting applications for, there, for the um, activity study. And we'll just talk a bit more in depth about that, I suppose, the why you should do it. So can you elaborate a bit more on kind of you talked about building up workload, just those principles? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of businesses will use their a workload model to help split out the, the sum of budget that they're given. So if it's a global level, you're given a million pounds budget across all your stores for the whole uh, year. How do you then decide how much you give to each store, how much do you split it by per per quarter, per week? And actually workload gives you the fair way to do that because if you know that it takes, you know, however long to serve a customer and this shop serves 20 customers and the other one serves 30 customers, it allows you to give a much fairer split of the, of the workload. So that's it in principle. It's understanding if you know a process takes X amount of time, you know how often it's done, then you can really um, fairly calculate what the workload is. And these activity studies and then the output of standard minute value, so the average time it takes to do the task with some factors applied to make it real life. So we know things don't happen in a linear way. We know yeah. people slow down as kind of their day progresses, etc. They need to be kept up to date. So it's not something you can really do once and then forget about because the process will change, the people yeah. will do it will change, the pace will change, maybe the layout of the warehouse or the, or the shop floor or the call centre, whatever you're working in changes as well, which can have a significant impact. Clearly, lots of people looking to automate, digitise, to remove some steps. So I think people get really hung up on the, this process is new, we need to measure it, but maybe not so much on these are some steps we've taken out of a process or actually these times are three, five years old. I mean, if if you think five years ago now, even three years is pre-pandemic and a hell of a lot has changed for everybody you know, the way we work, the way people work in shops, the way people work everywhere is yeah. fundamentally changed. So if your times are pre-pandemic, there's probably some opportunity, some opportunity to get the funding in the right place. Some stuff I'm sure will take longer, some stuff I'm sure will take less, but it, you're buying into a cycle of measurement and keeping it up to date. Otherwise, you kind of put yourself in a, a quite a precarious situation. Yeah. The one thing that's always interesting is walking. Yeah. So lots of conversations about walking. Do you capture it? Don't you capture it? Do you apply an allowance? How do you know? Do you take the midpoint from a, a store? And th- th- again, there's no right or wrong answer. 
But just talk about some of the kind of trends you're seeing in terms of walking and data and what people are thinking or doing. I think it's something that's really coming to the fore as there's been more automation happening. So if you think about any form of picking, so whether that's in a shop and going and picking from the warehouse to fill up, whether it's picking in a warehouse, in a distribution centre, and obviously we've seen a lot more picking for orders that are that are delivered out. There's a lot more home delivery happening, either in dedicated centres or, again, it's happening in, in retail hubs. And people have put a lot of effort into having much better ways of um, you know, data capture. So most of it is is scanning. So there's quite a lot of efficiency there. But actually, any time, obviously, there's cost pressure. So anything that you can do to reduce it further is a real benefit. And we're starting to see much more interest, really, in the, the time it's taken for walking. So in warehouse tasks, for example, walking time can be about half the time of the total task. So if you can make a change to it by improving pick routes, um, reducing your distances down, you know, slightly increasing the speed of your your truck if you do if you use a manual handling equipment. Lots of different things you can do to focus on that time. As I say, it's such a substantial part of the of the time required when you're having people walking around. Even down to keeping your hands free, um, you know, electronic shelf edge, edge labels will help you spot where you should pick to. You know, and, and the best warehousing systems have their people stationary and the pick face is, yeah, kind of there is a static pick face and the products move in and out, the totes move in and out and they pick to lights or else picking to, picking to sound. So they're using a headset rather than, um, rather than, you know, using handhelds and that sort of thing. So there's lots of things you can do to, to shave down that time, but actually walking is a, is a massive part of it. I think we're at that, tipping point of people really wanting to get back under the skin of that all that picking for customers yeah so time to pick how many failed picks do you get what happens if you've got a failed pick what impact does that have but if you think of a typical operation in probably any of the the supermarkets now and lots of the diy shops and and hardware shops colleague will put the stock on the shelf so it's come off the lorry we've paid whatever it is in terms of its X minutes to put Y items on the shelf. So we've touched it once. Then we'll get an order in from a customer. We'll then go back round and pick that stock we've paid already to put out on the shelf. Yeah. And there may be some nuances in their system that if you can't part pick, you have to cancel the whole order. So you get halfway through, we're out of stock. There's a whole thing in terms of substitutes turned on and off in most, again, most of the grocers, which means a, a different type of journey. So, that cost model probably isn't sustainable. It clearly was in lockdown because it was the only way that most people yeah. could buy. Um, coming under lots of pressure. So as volumes slightly plateaued, it's not grown as, as much as it is. If you think about you know some of the opening things we talked about, 7% pay rise at Tesco's, as did, I think, paying £11 an hour now above. Um, clearly, that's above the national living wage. It's costing you more to do that double treble handling. So I, I think next 12, 18 months activity study to support some of those strategic decision making of how much to charge for home delivery. Do you do it? Do you do it in every store? Do you have a hub and spoke model? All, all those other considerations that we know are in flight will become a really good example of how this methodology is used. And we perhaps started talking about doing sort of a, a wider study of kind of all the things that happen in a business. 
there's a real benefit in doing some real focus studies. So to almost do a before and after in a couple of shops. So, you know, we've done it in quite a few situations where people are going to make a change. So we either measure the store before the change is made or we make, make a, you know, a comparator store. So you can then really see in detail about how you deliver the change. I think it's interesting that every time we've been in to measure a process after it's been changed, we still spot opportunities to improve it. And it can be a mix of either colleagues either not getting the briefing effectively or not changing habits. Because any time you're changing processes, you've also got to change the habits and ways of working of the, the teams that are working with it. So there's very often people that haven't you know, taken it up consistently or most efficiently. But equally, we'll often see, well, actually, if you just change this, if you change the layout, if you could reduce walking, whatever it is. So there's always opportunities to use those sorts of studies, want to validate your business case and also then really fine tune your process. And I think the one that sticks out in my mind that I won't name the the organisation, but big new HR um, sales system went in. They had a big business case against it, replaced a lot of paper, replaced a lot of writing. Uh, and guess what? It takes longer to type than it does to, to write. So, you know, some very um, interesting conversations around, well, this is why you're not achieving your business case. Some great opportunities to help them get closer. But fundamentally, you know, it takes longer for people who aren't touch typing sat at a computer all day to start typing things in than they would write things down. And, and the process that was introduced forced them to complete at the time rather than being able to serve the customer and then go back and fill in the blanks on the paperwork and write it in. So again, understand that return on investment is absolutely critical. Sometimes those assumptions can be uh, can be interesting and proved or disproved through using activity study. Well, one that's on not such a large scale, we went in, there was a... a um a company that had automated a part of their process. And the kit that they, they it was being done using a handheld. And the, the teams that were using it in stores had got used to doing the core functionality, but actually there was some extra functionality which would really help them to do other things very quickly. And in, in the briefings that had gone out, people had almost taken on board the things that I have to do now to, because things have changed, but the rest of it felt a bit optional. And um, so they weren't using it. So when we were in there, we were saying, well, did you know you could do this instead of that? And it was like, it really helped them. So it, it flagged up an opportunity to change how they were doing the briefing into people. But actually, it really meant it, it improved the benefit case delivery because instead of just accessing part of the potential benefit, it meant they were able to access all of it. And there's a lot that you can pick up. I mean, we know from our time working in retail head offices, you know, you can go and do a head office visit and you can pick up loads of stuff about how you could improve things. I think there is something really useful about having a trained analyst there standing, you know, for a good few hours, a couple of days maybe, actually observing and seeing what's happening and interacting. The, the benefits of that longer time frame of observation really highlight some extra things that I don't think you always spot if you're there for a couple of hours for a head office visit. No, absolutely. So we'll pause there until the next episode. So we've covered role study, efficiency study, activity study in the first three episodes. We'll cover one of the other methodologies in the next one and then we'll move on to things like workload modelling, 
we'll look at um, some of the other productivity initiatives that we're looking at and keep up to date with kind of what's happening in the general market. So thanks again, Sue, and we'll speak on the next episode. Okay, bye.